0: All right, as you, most of you already made your way back to your seats, you grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Just want to give a quick uh, update on just some personal stuff. Many of you were aware and praying for my mother-in-law who is in need of a liver. And so um, there was, we just sort of were through a roller coaster this week. It's, we're in the sort of urgent category uh, for this need and God graciously provided yesterday. As is expected, uh, my mother-in-law is in the ICU, so that was expected. I, you know, it, I guess it's not every day that you get a new organ, so um, so to the ICU she'll be for a while. But so far, successful and recovering, incredible, amazing. God's common grace in modern medicine is amazing, so we are rejoicing. I know that there are many other... Rejoicing uh, stories are heavy ones that we can be praying for and continue to pray for, but I know that uh, this was easy for me to just update us as a whole collectively where we're at. So, uh, long road ahead. Uh, keep praying, but incredible uh, grace of God. All right, that said, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. Colossians 2 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. God, as we come to your word, I pray that it would really truly find a home in our hearts. Uh, the power of the Spirit would work mightily in the preaching of your word. And we would take it and receive it, believe it. How would you do that? Uh, help us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is it about junk food that keeps us coming back for more? Yeah, yeah. Stealing all all my answers here, right? Those chips, the soda, those baked goods, that fast food. Many of you are going to be gathering later today, and a lot of those things are going to be on a table. But you're also going to be gathering just like I gather every year. I'm from the Cleveland area, and so the Super Bowl weekend is sort of this thing that's happening. I have no invested interest, so (laughs) welcome to my world. And if you need... Some help on how to navigate today. I, I, I've got experience. I know some of you are lost and aimless. Brian wore his jersey. No, Brian. No. They're not playing today. Yeah. But what is it about junk food? Well, they are empty and addictive. That's, that's what. They give the impression that they are satisfying our appetite, but all they are doing is conditioning us to eat and drink more. The irony is that they don't actually satisfy us. Instead, they give us a fulfilled feeling. I'll say that fast. Fulfilled feeling or a better word would just simply be, we feel bloated. I'm going to run with that image today, so you're going to have to just camp out there with me. We're being scammed when we down a sleeve of Thin Mints. <laughs> or kill a bag of Doritos. Or drink way too much soda. We're, we're being scammed. And we usually feel awful... Later, physically, but emotionally with ourselves. What we eat impacts how we feel, which impacts what we eat. You know this. What we feel impacts how, what, or what we eat impacts how we feel and what we feel impacts how we eat. And so it is spiritually spiritually. And that's what the Colossian church was experiencing. They were experiencing junk food. Junk food infiltrated their balanced diet. False teachers were bringing in something other than Jesus. We were giving them spiritual junk food. And just as the Colossians were seeing and Paul was instructing, so we can experience similar things. Any Any kind of teaching that is directing our attention off of Jesus... Ever so slightly, whether it's major or minor, doesn't matter, they're all major at that point. If it's taking us off Christ, it's like junk food and it makes us feel bloated and gross. Gospel teaching that is fixed on Jesus is like a warm, home-cooked feast. It fills and it satisfies. And so the the imperative for us, the challenge to us is, are we going to be a church, are we going to be a people where we take extra care to be a church where we offer everyone the home-cooked, warm feast of Christ? And not just right now what I'm doing, simply on this platform, preaching and proclaiming, but what we do in these rooms back here. And what we do in these songs up here, and what we do in the Monday nights when we're gathered together, or the Tuesday nights, or the Wednesday nights, or the Thursday nights, and so on and so forth, the Saturday mornings that we commit to one another. Are we going to be offering a warm, home cooked feast in Christ? Are we just going to be grabbing for some junk food? Some Cheetos to be a church that lives full in Christ, we need to see that Christ is the meal that gives satisfaction and joy and fills us up. And that we would be so eager to to wait at tables so that others would come to join that meal too. That's my hope for us as a church family is that we joyfully feast on Christ. Christ. And make it a place where others can come to the table. There's space around the table for them to feast to. And so let's consider that uh, together this morning through these three verses. What it looks like to be living full in Christ. Not bloated, but full. Like that, that feeling you get when you eat a good meal. To be that kind of a church, living full in Christ, we need to see a few things. We need to understand the urgency for a balanced diet. I'm going to take that imagery and just run it all the way through this sermon. Now, we would understand the urgency for a balanced diet. Secondly, living full in Christ recognizes the threats of spiritual junk food. Recognizes the, the threats of spiritual junk food. And then thirdly, living full in Christ relishes, I was just trying to find all the right kinds of like words to bring that out, relishes in the satisfaction from a good meal. And I mean all this too though, not just trying to be clever or cute, that we relish in the satisfaction that we gain from a good meal that we would see Christ that satisfaction. So let's jump into that together first. First, let's consider understanding the urgency for a balanced diet. Look at verse 8. See to it. Doesn't quite scream off the page with a sense of urgency in the English. But there, in the original, it it comes at you with a punch. It's it's an imperative. There's a a command component to this that carries with it a sense of urgency. Take extra care. Be very, very, very careful. Diligent and on point with this. That's the thing that comes right out of the gate. Considering what he had just been saying about Jesus, who he is, his person, his work, and our life in him, that we can walk in him, rooted, built up, established, abounding in thanksgiving, that we can have that sort of experience in our life. Now, urgently pay very close attention to the food you eat. Because what you eat impacts how you feel, and then that turns around and impacts what you eat. So on the heels of what he says there in verses 6 or 7, Paul pivots with this imperative that stresses the importance of a healthy, balanced diet in the life of a Christian and in the culture of a church. If we want to walk in Christ-rooted, build up, and established, then we need to take extra care to know what that looks like for our lives. And then verses 8 through 10 emphasize what it does not look like. And verses 6 through 7 give us a recipe what it does look like. So we need to take extra care to have the necessary ingredients, the necessary ingredients to have a balanced meal, a balanced diet in our lives so as to grow up and mature in a healthy way in Christ, as individuals and as a church. And so the ingredients that we've seen already in Paul's letter to the Colossians are, there's a Christ-centered understanding of the whole of Scripture. That the Bible that you are holding is bound together, it is unified together in the person and work of Christ. That he is the culmination of all that God is doing, was doing, And will do. It all is directly in line with who Jesus is. He fulfills all of those things that we read about in the Old Testament. The pictures and the people and the places and the promises and the prophecy. They all find their fulfillment in Jesus. And his message then, the message, repent and believe and you will be saved, goes out from the person and work of Christ who invaded time and space and did what we couldn't do to overcome what we couldn't overcome, to rescue us to something we could never gain on our own, that message of the gospel goes out to the very ends of the earth that there isn't any nationality, any ethnicity, any place that isn't impacted by this glorious good news of the gospel. And that there would be then one great and glorious day when all peoples from all places would be worshiping Christ in glory. And this is this full total picture of the Bible. We need that. Always. There isn't a time in which we can just set that aside. That is lifeblood for the church. A Christ-centered understanding of the whole of Scripture is is the protein that you and I need daily. We need this. And we also need, as we've been finding in this letter, we need a grace-fueled commitment. To the local church. To live out our faith together. We don't do this alone. We don't feast alone. A feast is shared together. The intent of the church is to be a place where we, where we feast on Christ together. We, we did it already in a sense at the communion table. But we are to do that inherently as the church. Through worship. As we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, this isn't meaningless. This isn't just check it off, get your gold star. When you get 15, you get a free prayer. I don't know. Like, this isn't how that works. We, we need this. And so we need a grace-fueled commitment to the local church to live out our faith together through worship. We need it in community. Building meaningful relationships with each other that encourages each other to hold on to Jesus. To see him as the treasure. That we would work together. Hey, let's see to it together. Let's see to this together that Christ is enough. He is good for our souls. He is worth all that we could possibly give and more. He is incredible. He is the treasure, the rare jewel of our contentment. And that we wouldn't be chasing after other things, cheap things, fast food kind of versions. But rather, we would be diligent together in community to make good food. And we do this on mission. That we would see that we would be a people that get to live in a world sunk, staggering, with way too much junk food. And we've got something healthy and nutritious and satisfying to offer instead. And it doesn't matter what age or stage you are in. It does not matter what age or stage you are in. We all get to play a part in this together. Holding up, holding out to one another, see, seeing to it together that we would feast on Christ. So take extra care to have the necessary ingredients and take extra care and diligence to be on the lookout for threats to that diet. There are no shortcuts to a good meal. There is the prescribed way of preparing it. And so we need to... Take extra care. We need to see the urgency here, just out of the gate in this passage, at why we need to have this healthy, balanced diet where we can feast on Christ. And in so doing, it helps us be better equipped to recognize the threats of spiritual junk food. To recognize the threats of spiritual junk food. Look what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, An empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So as we go about recognizing the threats of spiritual junk food, we need to realize that they are an addictive trap. They are an addictive trap. The things that Paul is warning the Colossians and then God is using this word to warn all the church in all ages and stages about is the addictive trap that spiritual junk food is. And he uses a very strong word there, captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. Captive. Same word that you would use for about smugglers running off with the treasure. I'd say booty, but there's probably too many... Ten-year-old boys in this room right now. You're welcome. Smugglers running off with the treasure. That's what this is. That's what the warning is. See to it that you don't get run off by smugglers. Addicted to something else. This is a serious threat Paul is dealing with. That means someone wants to steal your attention and your affection away from Christ. Christ. That's what's going on, infiltrating in the church in the early stages and really all of the stages that there are these things infiltrating the church, wanting to steal your attention and your affection from Jesus. To just diminish his luster a little bit in your eyes so as to catch you with the sparkly image over here. To offer you an easier meal than the one that it takes time and prep to make and to understand and to wrestle with and taste and savor. Just a a little diminish of how great Jesus is. So as to steal away your attention and your affection. And in so doing, gaining your life. That's the threat. That's how serious this is. And this is how this captivity works. First is you're led away. You are tricked with a falsehood. Look what it says. Philosophy and empty deceit. You are tricked with a falsehood. This, this is a better way. This is a, a more understanding way of how God is at work. God wants your best life now. So it's just this little hint, this little thing to pull your attention and your affection away from Jesus. So you are led away. And when you're led away, you are then secondly put under subjection. You are subjected under it. This thing that lured you away with a falsehood, offering you a better way, then becomes an oppressive master over you. This is how captivity works. The kind of thing that Paul is stressing with great urgency to the church. Be on guard. Take see to it. Be extra diligent to take extra care that you have a healthy diet and you're not whisked away with cheap junk food. I um I like Diet Coke. Somebody said ew <laughs> grief. I like that metaliness to it, that grit. It's glorious. It is fantastic. And if I drink one, I want to drink more. Right? Because it's it's just chemicals tricking my brain to come back for more. And what do I do? I go back for more. If I start, I I can go over long amounts of time without drinking Diet Coke. I can go weeks, months, years. But then you have one and it's just like all that's gone. Give me the two liter and a straw. It's addictive. It's science engineered to make you a consumer so that you buy it. I'm whisked away. I'm tricked with a falsehood. It's not satisfying my thirst. I'm actually more thirsty. That's the point. There's a lot that we can get whisked away with thinking that it satisfies our soul. And dare I say, maybe the most dangerous place is a Christian bookstore. Not the world. The world has a different game. It's playing with the church. But the things that infiltrate, that direct, try to steal away our attention and affection off of Jesus, onto something else, mainly you, are like Diet Coke. You think it's good and refreshing, but really it's making you into a consumer. We need to be on guard against fake ingredients and artificial sweetener. Note what Paul says. He says it's philosophy and empty deceit. But really, a better way to translate that would be philosophy that is empty deceit. Philosophy that is empty deceit. Philosophy in Paul's day was used in a very broad way. It would be more like how we would use the word worldview, all right? if you're familiar with that. It's a principle that guides how you look at and live out your life. It's sort of a, a disposition that you have toward life. And so in Paul's day, philosophy was used in a more broad sense. And, and, and yes, it, it was used in the sense that we would see in Greece and in Rome and, and other, you know, sort of mental giants in the early stages of human history for sure. But it had a sort of everyday broad appeal to it spoke about how you would look at and live out life. And the Colossians were getting hit with a philosophy that was, as he wraps up at the end of the verse, not according to Christ. They weren't looking at life and living it out according to all that God has done for them and Jesus. They weren't seeing life or looking at life through this lens that says Christ is the treasure. He's the greatest thing ever. And we get to be known by him and, and we get to know him and we get to live for him. But what they were getting hit with was something not that. In fact, what they were getting hit with was empty deceit, meaning it was vain It was insufficient. It was a nothing. It was empty. And not just that it was empty. It was empty and offered to you, masquerading as something on purpose. It was a lie. So it's empty in a package that says it's full. And it's nothing but a lie. It was purposely seeking to redirect the church away from seeing Jesus as supreme and sufficient. Keep in mind, like you already have a sense of what this is because of the things that we've already covered in this letter. Paul was already undercutting this bad teaching that was infiltrating the church by all of the ways in which he was holding up Jesus in the first part of this letter. The emphasis in this letter is on the supreme, sufficient Jesus. So that tells us something about what they were being hit with. That they needed to add a little something extra to their life if they really wanted to be right with God. And they were not seeing Christ as sufficient. And then you can look in more specifics, and we'll get there in a couple of weeks, at the end of this chapter, at some of the specific things that they were being offered to go a different way. It was all just works righteousness. It was them gaining more when God has already given us all in Christ. But that's how captivity works. It offers us one thing. It baits us and then switches. And this empty deceit was based on two things that we see here. Human tradition and elemental spirits of the world. Human tradition is again an extension of philosophy. It's a way of looking at and living out life, but specifically man-centered, specifically with people, with a person, with, with mankind as the chief point of all of the cosmos. I' was awfully proud. starts with man, broadly speaking, as the main thing, and takes that and projects it on God. And, and says to God, this is what it looks like to have a right relationship. It's all backwards. It's all inevitably works righteousness. That you have to contribute a level of good works or specific works in order to gain favor with God. And all of that sort of effort is like eating too much junk food or too much fast food. It just leaves you bloated and dis- with discomfort from a painfully high amount of empty spiritual carbohydrates. Told you I'm going to run this all the way through. That's what it does to us. When we think we contribute a level of something to gain favor with God, all we're doing is gaining that greater spiritual bloated feeling. That's it. That's all it is. And so I would just even say and encourage you, as you are reading, or as you are studying, as you are wrestling with things, and as you maybe do that with other people, and there are books, and there are sermons, and there are things that that are encouragements to you, or like given to you, just use this one simple sort of checkpoint with it. Is this leading me to treasure Jesus? Or am I ultimately the center of the story here? If it's not drawing you to Jesus specifically, where do you think it's going? And why would you want to go there? See to it. Take extra care. You're not sneaking in boxes of milk duds, although those are wonderful. (laughs) Junk food into your life. Well, there's also something behind that human tradition. Elemental spirits of the world. And this is, this is important. There's evil that lies behind the things that are seeking to dissuade or discourage the church from following Jesus. There's an evil behind it. There's something insidious about philosophies and system of man that are set up into opposition to God. It's because there's evil behind that. In a sort of sister letter, Ephesians, you could read Colossians and Ephesians together and just have this like incredible, like rich picture of the sufficiency of Christ for the church. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says these words, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He amps up the real threat here. There's an evil, an insidious evil, evil behind human traditions that want to diminish Jesus in the sight of the church. That is the threat here. And spiritual junk food will leave you, leave me, leave us bloated and disappointed. Because there's something insidious about it. Junk food is terrible for your health. Fast food tears down your body rather than do what food is supposed to do, build it up. And junk food, bad food, gives you the impression of filling you up, but it's really a false one. All you are is bloated. And when we're bloated, what are we? We're listless, filled with regret and shame. And shame's goal works hand in hand Withholding you captive. The point of shame. Is to keep you down. God will never shame you. Because his goal is not to keep you down. But to raise you up in Christ. So if you feel shame. That's not of God. God does something that might initially feel like shame. It's called conviction. Cuts to the heart. Speaks truth to where we need to hear it. But conviction has a restoration in its aim. Shame does not. Conviction wants you restored, raised up. Shame wants you sunk down and waterlogged. So when we feel spiritually bloated, that we're demanding God operate on our way, we need to know that there's evil behind that. There's evil in our hearts. And the shame that is associated with that is to keep us in that trap. Going back to the Diet Coke again and again and again. But God wants to bring conviction so as to bring restoration. Shame is not what he does. Shame is what he takes. Shame is what he pays. Shame is what he rescues you from on the cross. Shame is not what he gives you. That is the danger. We need to recognize it. These are threats. Instead, we need to relish We need to relish in the satisfaction from a good meal, and look what he says in verse ten. And you are at the in verse nine. Excuse me. For in Him, the whole fullness in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head and rule of all rule and authority. Christ is the real stuff. He is the real feast. He is the real ingredients. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And we've actually heard this already in this letter. We've come across this in verse 19 of chapter 1. Verse 19 of chapter 1 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So we're already treading over ground that Paul has been working on in his letter. And, and, and so we need to know that Christ is the, the real deal. He's the real stuff. He's the real meal. It does not mean that God's presence is merely in the person, Jesus. But what that means, this whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, means that all that God is dwells in Christ. I'm going to say that very very slowly again. All that God is dwells in Christ. And so when you are in Christ, when you know Christ, you have all of God. You are not sort of on this sort of like outskirts, probationary period. To have Christ is to have all of God. And this is what He offers you. And this is what fills you. This is what satisfies you. This is what radically rescues you. This is what changes the way that you look at life and live it out. This brings hope where you are waterlogged with shame. This brings strength where you are weak and broken. This is the fullness of God in bodily form. It is all of God for you. One theologian said this, it is not merely God-likeness that dwells in Christ, but actually the divine nature itself. You are lacking nothing when you have Christ. Nothing. You have it all. And Christ, a friend of mine said it this way once, Christ is not a bigger version of you. He is something holy and totally different. He's God. And when you have Christ, you have God. You have the meal. McDonald's is not calling you on the way home. Go back to your crock pot that's been working all day. (laughs) Enjoy the aroma and the flavors and the feast of it. Skip the nuggets. You have it all And relish the satisfaction of what you have in this meal that is Christ. Do you know how good taste and see that the Lord is good? Do you know how good He is? Do you know how good grace tastes? That's the real stuff. There's no... Artificially enhanced sweetener in the gospel. This is pure cane, natural sugar. And when you eat a good meal, what do you do? You slow down. And you experience it, right? What do you do with those nuggets? They're gone before you ever get home. Ah, Just jam them into your face. Oh, no, but when it's a good meal, you savor those flavors, don't you? And you're usually eating it with somebody, right? Or with family, with friends. There's fellowship associated with it, isn't there? There's a satisfaction. This good food makes a heart happy. So it is with Christ. And when you eat that good meal, you don't feel like you're indulging. That's what you say when you kill the Dorito bag, right? You're indulging. You don't say that when you're feasting on a good meal. You say, Oh, that was such a feast. And so it is with Christ. He's the warm, home cooked meal of God's goodness and grace. That in Christ, you and I are filled, full. And we can live a life full in Christ. But we need to ask ourselves some questions to lead our heart away from maybe some imbalanced diets in our lives. In Christ, you're fully satisfied. But are you? You, right now, experientially, are you satisfied in Christ? Here are some questions to ask your heart, to evaluate your life with. First one is this Who is Jesus? Just, I mean that. Like, take time to answer that question. Just take the time to think through a fully formed, scripturally rich answer to that question. Maybe this afternoon you could talk about it with your family or friends. Who is Jesus? Just let those answers blow up your head and your heart. Because he's the full whole fullness of God, bodily form. What does that even mean? That's incredible. Second question to ask your heart to walk it away from bad diet. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Well, our verse here tells us he fills us up. well, that's an incredible thing, but what what does that entail? Well, we've already celebrated an aspect of it in communion. We've sang about it. And the scriptures are, are full of incredible pictures of what Jesus does. And take the time to walk through that question. You want to walk your heart back away from, you know, a bad sort of imbalanced diet, an unhealthy diet. You start by, by focusing on the good stuff. Who Jesus is and what he does. And the third question is, now what? Now what? So, now what? If, if Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he does, this has a profound impact on who I am and how I live. I mean, that's what verse 10 closes with. He's got all rule and authority. So, he's in charge. He's over it all. And he is fully like, sufficient to do that. And he's fully sufficient for your heart. He's fully sufficient for your life. So, will you follow him? Will you follow him? Or, or is he not enough? Still not sure to go back to those first two questions. If you're undecided on number three, go back to one and two. Keep digging in that ground. Keep sitting at that table. Keep taking bite after bite. Because, because those answers, what the Bible tells us of who Jesus is and what he does, shapes our now what's. And then be a people together like this. And in your lives, week in and week out, be a people who feast on Christ. So that we would be a place that takes extra care to offer everyone the warm, home-cooked feast of Christ. Week in and week out together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is nourishing for our souls. And good to taste and so god i pray that you would give us an appetite for your for your word that you would give us an appetite for christ that we would see that he is good and that his goodness is so satisfying to our lives and that we would want to live following after him and to be a place that helps each other do the same god, so would you do a good work in us we pray christ's name amen